This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, a lot of houses are square and we're all stuck in our houses. And so you could say that we are all stuck in a square space right now. Just like as our a nation, sp- our, just like our sponsor Squarespace. Since you oh, that's sound true. so confident in the words that you're using, why don't you tell me more about Squarespace? What a fun coincidence! Squarespace ironically opens the world up to you—the huh. world wide web. That is, Squarespace lets you turn a cool idea into a new website. It lets you showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, promote your online business. Uh, back when physical business was a thing they still let you do that uh, <laughs> and a whole lot more they do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers uh, the ability to customize the look and feel of your page uh, settings products and more just a few clicks and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever uh, so uh, our website overduepodcast.com is on squarespace we've been using it for a lot of years it's yeah, been simple it looks would, nice this I was whole time just thinking that pretty much all of the problems I've ever had with our website are mine. <laughs> right. Like, like you made them or I made them. Squarespace. Yes. It wasn't Squarespace's fault. So if this sounds good to you, head to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, get out there figuratively. Everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, and boy, we're just uh, jumping right into this one. We aren't really we? are. We're blazing a new path forward this week um, <laughs> on the whole the the highest of holy days, April twentieth. Mm-hmm. We are here to read a book with you today. A little different. A little bit. A little bit um, off the beaten, the be- the I couldn't. Mm. <laughs> normally, so the thing we're going to do different this week for 420 is normally we read the book and then talk about it. And this week we are going to tear the book up and roll it into little jazz cigarettes and smoke <laughs> it and just hang out. Yeah. Because we're such big weedos. Light it up. Um, we've done a few of these before. We are going to do one of our patented choose your own adventure episodes that's a little <laughs> that's why i put the we question making, mark we we are making no legal claims no to are, any any aspect of the choose your own adventure universe we are here to have fun with a well-known book series by sharing the book smoke jumpers by r.a montgomery uh with each other and with you all today um, if you have not joined us for one of our Choose Your Own Adventure episodes before or one of our you know, game book episodes before, we will be kind of making choices in real time, doing some bad voices or good voices maybe this time. Oh, did you bring? Did you learn some? <laughs> Wait, you were supposed <laughs> to bring the good voices. Oh no! Uh oh! <laughs> um, and just trying to have some fun. We probably won't cover everything in the book because uh, that wouldn't be super fun. Um, but we will make a couple runs at a at a good ending, perhaps. Yeah, we so we typically we average for these like three ish endings. That usually gets us to the amount of time that we need to yeah. get to. Um, and we man, I totally lost my train of thought. 
We will take turns, and we might like you know put a pin in a page and come. Oh back yeah, that to that was later. what I was gonna say. Yeah, we are we are big proponents of the of the put your put a bookmark or your finger or whatever in a page with a tough choice. Come back to it later if you don't like what you got. Like yes. that's not cheating in no. our <laughs> in our game. No. Um, before we get into it, I do want to do some of what we do every week here on the show, which is provide a little context for where the book came from and what the author is up to. So this one was originally published, I guess, in 1991 is what the inside says. Um, this branding has it as Choose Your Own Adventure 29. Now, of course, 29. some of those numbers <laughs> changed upon the repubs in like the 2000s. This one was republished first in 2005. Yeah, um, so so I've got, and we usually actually check this before we start recording, but we do have the same edition of this book, right? Like I've got, like 91 is the original copyright, but revised text copyright 2005 and cover artwork copyright 2009. Correct, yes. Um, my on page yep. uh, 116. Um, I'm checking. That is correct. Did you All right, we're edition- all synced up. Did your edition come with a sliver of a blue note card in it? It sure did not. No, my my most interesting choose your own adventure find is still the used copy that I bought that had been like rebound. Oh, sure. Because the the original binding had fallen apart, and so they they snipped the cover and the spine and just stuck it onto a hardback. Mine has multiple stickers on it with skews. One of which says Smike Jumper. On smoke it. jumper. Mine says smoke jumpers used very good. All I have that sticker too. <laughs> Got multiple ones here. Um, but yeah, so I do want to do a little bit on the background of the book. Um, we did an R.A. Montgomery book years ago. Um, He's one of the original yes. guys, right? So if, we did, if not the guy. I, I don't know if it was Prisoner of the Ant People or something like that, I think, was the book we did before. Who was Chimney Rock? Um, Raymond Almerin Montgomery was born in 1936, uh, passed oh, away. Chim- in- Chimney Rock was by Edward Packard, who's the other like originating yes. duo who yes. did most of the early ones. Um, and Montgomery passed away in 2014. He's from the Connecticut area. He went to Yale and NYU. Uh, before he got into Choose Your Own Adventure books, Andrew... He had a background in like education and role playing as an educational activity. So he started with the Wall Street Journal where he would go into classrooms and try to convince teachers to use the Wall Street Journal as a teaching tool, which is, you know, some real good mid 20th century salesmanship. Um, And then he founded a summer school that used experiential learning, which got him involved with a group that was doing a bunch of role playing as problem solving. He created something called the Energy Environment Game in the 1970s, Andrew, mm-hmm. which was a teaching module that used like role playing mechanics to teach kids how to resolve the power scarcity given the energy crisis <laughs> of the early <laughs> 70s. That's a that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from there to Ender's Game, isn't it? Yep, really is. I don't um, even know if you need all three. Maybe just a hop and a skip. It wasn't a game all along. Um, he did, you know, use some of those principles in designing teaching tools for the Peace Corps. Uh, and then in the 80s, he was settling down in Vermont with his partner, starting a family. So they started Vermont Crossroads Press, started publishing some books. One of them was a manuscript from Edward Packard, uh, one of the original 
you know, the original Choose Your Own Adventure book author. Uh, Montgomery went on to write a few of his own, and then they struck their deal with uh, Bantam, which is like kind of how they launched their Choosing Empire. Uh, and then he and his partner were instrumental in kind of reissuing the books in the aughts under the Choose Co. name. Um, and he's just like, he seems really invested in kids being excited about reading and learning and having agency. His biography in the back of this edition of the book says, Montgomery feels that the generation of people under 15 is the most important asset in our world. Um, and he also said in a couple, in at least one interview that he hoped that people around the world would take up writing their own like choose books as a way to like explore their own histories and culture and stuff hmm. like that. And the books in general do have a flair of like, you know, coming from different parts of the world and exploring different parts of history. It was apparently a big decision to have the, the author's names on the books. They could have gone like the Nancy drew Hardy boys, not Hardy Hardy boys. Uh, like I know Babysitter's Club did yes. this a lot where like Anna Martin's name is on all the books, but she didn't actually write everything. Yes. So he he like has he took great pride in the fact that he was able to launch, you know, some careers through this series. No, oh, that's great. Um and then before we get to our break, I do want to mention that this is a book about smoke jumpers who are like first responders in forest fire scenarios primarily. Yeah. We picked it because it, we knew it was going to air on 420, and it is the <laughs> the smoke like the, the smokiest book, I day. guess that we that we could find. I want to be upfront. I've probably I can't imagine I haven't talked about this on the show, but I've smoked weed like three times, <laughs> and it doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, so it's not. A common... I've gotten because I've gotten feedback that I give off like stonery vibes sometimes, mm. but I'm I. Which which would be fine if I was, but I'm I'm not. I, I am not a weed make, boy like, funny, either. Like no. funny, like go four twenty, blaze it, like smoke up the the whole joint with your joints. Mary kinda. Jane, yeah. you know, like it is. Um, so we love the weed. I know humor. how to talk about good strains. <laughs> yeah, do you? <laughs> Please tell yeah. me more. I love a good strain, you know? A variety. You, you don't want it. You don't, you know what you don't want? Is what? a bad strain. Oh, yes, I've heard. That's good. Okay, great. <laughs> good one. Um, so I will share, because I don't know if this will get covered in the book. I did just do a little research on smoke jumpers who are not high people just jumping in their living rooms. Um, they, in the U.S., they started in 1939 during World War II. There was an all-black unit, the 555th Parachute Infantry Battalion, in the Northwest that was due to segregation in the U S not sent into actual combat. So they were prepared to tackle forest fires based on some plan that they thought that the Japanese army was going to enact to like set a bunch of forest fires in California or something. Um, and then that didn't really come to pass, but they trained all these dudes to jump out of planes. Um, and Eisenhower expanded the program in the fifties. And so now there is just this, the National Interagency Fire Center that works with the BLM to train some, you know, a couple hundred jumpers that will just go out and jump into zones that are on fire and do initial groundwork. There's people in Idaho and Alaska. I went to the website of the, like, the the department that administers this, Andrew, and there's this part at the bottom that has, like, links and media 
and bases, and then it just says a great career. And then there's a box that's not, you can't click on it. It's just there. It says, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. Confucius. So it's not, <laughs> it's not really inviting you to become a smoke jumper so much it is as it's like trying to tell you to, to get a good career somewhere. I think that box, yeah, that box is not doing the job that I think they think it's doing. <laughs> just a little Confucius wisdom for you. Yeah, um, like it, it's it's interesting because I'm not I wildfires have been in the news more mm-hmm, in the last few years, mm-hmm. like predominantly because of of California, but there are also you know situations in the Amazon and kind of all and around Australia, the world yeah, as, Australia. as the world deals with some of the early fallout from climate change. And yeah, I'm just I'm not as I live far away from those places, and so I've kind of shielded myself from learning about the specific mechanics of it because I feel like it would stress me out to to know more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make me sound terrible? No, I think so. What we're going to do today after we take our break is we're just going to try to have fun with the characters in this book and learn a little about the world. That's my goal. Does that sound good sounds to you? Great. Yeah, it sounds awesome. All right, but I need to rest up first, and then we'll come back. Okay. And I need to smoke a bunch of Jace. Great, please do. (laughs) Okay. Hey, Andrew. This week's show has another sponsor. Does it, too? It has two, and this one is Causebox. It's a subscription box curated by women for women that's filled with amazing products and brands that are ethical, sustainable, and have a positive mission to give back and make the world better. That sounds good, huh? That's great. Yeah, I hate it when my boxes don't have like a driving set of beliefs, you know? Just empty boxes with empty morals. Yeah, like <laughs> empty ideology. Ideolo- I- <laughs> yeah. Empty brains, empty hearts. Not with Causebox. Each yeah. box has a half dozen products, stuff from skincare to jewelry to homewares. It's $250 worth of products for only $50. Bucks. Um, we each got one. Uh, it comes with like a duffel bag, the reusable bento box, a tumbler that Laura, my wife, has been using. My wife has been using uh, for coffee every morning. <laughs> got Is that the por- little thermal, like insulated one? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that she one really likes neat. it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a portfolio, did rollers. She's also been really digging the earrings that came in the box. Yeah, Suze likes the earrings too. And there's a like a little zine inside the box that tells you where each item came from, and if you're you're using reusable grocery bags for the first time, it gives you you know best practices. Uh, it comes in the mail with free shipping, which is great, and it's like getting yourself or someone in your life a little box of surprises. The best part, of course, is that listeners get an exclusive discount. Go to causebox.com slash overdue and use the code overdue to get your first box for 30% off. As in, you can get your first box worth over 250 bucks for less than $39. Go check out Causebox right now and get your box of surprises. Andrew, did you know that kids love reading Choose Your Own Adventure? I had heard that, yeah. The first page of this book, Melanie Armstrong, age 12, says, I think these books are cool because you actually get involved with them. 
Shannon McDonald, age 10, says, I love the way that you can choose your own adventure. <laughs> the author <laughs> makes you feel like you are the characters. Logan, age 12, says these books are great for all ages, too, which is famously a thing that 12-year-olds are super concerned about. Yes, they about, are very concerned Is people about other than themselves and their own age group. Um, so on our cover, we have it's a very serious photo of uh, a person in the near field the near you know the near part of the frame in a suit walking in a fiery forest there's some people jump with parachutes and there's a plane that is dropping water on the fire i think yeah yeah okay yeah i'm glad you point out the water thing because i was like the perspective of that plane doesn't work for like (laughs) dropping the parachuters no it does not but if it's if it's dumping water then sure i can get behind it yeah probably not on them but what are you gonna do um so uh starts it says thanks to all those brave people who protect our forests yes correct um andrew do you want to read our beware and warning real quick i don't remember you are a shark being like thanks to all the sharks those brave anamorph shark boys Uh, beware and warning this book is different from other books you and you alone are in charge of what happens in this story there are dangers choices adventures and consequences you must use all of your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence the wrong decision could end in disaster even death but don't despair at any time you can go back and make another choice alter the path of your story and change its result you practice and study for months and are finally ready for your first parachute jump from a plane I'd parachute jump from any other thing would probably not go great. <laughs> you could jump off a cliff. Like a helicopter, I guess. Not no, the, not out of a helicopter. It's That's part terrifying. Of the, it's part of the long process of becoming an elite smoke jumper, a firefighter in the wilderness. But the driest spring and summer in decades means many aggressive fires. Your first jump quickly turns into your first firefighting job. In the midst of the rapidly moving blaze, you have to think fast and move faster. If you don't do everything right... The Inferno could catch up to you. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Um, okay, shall mm-hmm. I start us off? You should start us off on page one with this illustration of two tents and one tent. It's kind of tentatively opening with a hand coming out of it. Oh, yeah, look at that, huh? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You've been lying awake for almost an hour when the early morning sun strikes your tent, flooding it with a golden light. Reaching up, you pull the tent flaps aside, letting in the cool morning air. You take a deep breath, the smell of pine filling your lungs. Then you tug the zipper on your sleeping bag, running it halfway down the bag. With as much energy and enthusiasm as you can muster at this hour of the morning, you welcome the new day that lies ahead. Rise and shine, you say. Rise and... A voice from the tent next to yours interrupts you excuse me uh (laughs) i already have an alarm clock thank you you know you really know how to start the day right finn thank you thank you very much you reply the old tent is dome shaped and standing up straight is nearly impossible you climb out of your downfield sleeping bag and manage to pull on your clothes shorts t-shirt and a down vest then you step out in classic (laughs) classic ensemble (laughs) It's a good look. It's very close to a Doug Funny look now that I think about <laughs> a it. Bit. Um, then you step out into the brilliant dawn, the sun cresting the range of mountains to the north. Some of them still have snow hiding in the shadowy flanks. And once again, you are taken aback by the beauty of the scene. If only you could relax and enjoy yourself. Scheduled today is your first actual training jump. The two of you have enrolled in a special jump unit assigned to combat forest fires in the mountains of the Pacific Northwest. Turn 
to page two, Andrew. Okay, so let's do a voice recap real quick. We've got us and we've got our pal Finn. Could you give me Finn again? Right. Oh, um, I already have an alarm clock. Thank you. Finn is just like very tense and wound up mm. like a clock. And so we also have to do a voice for us uh, and we can't just have our voice do I, be the- yeah i did kind of like a like a stoner hey, california okay, sure, sure, sure. getting into california get, get into character in california yes, yes so do with that what you <laughs> so finn is kind of like a like a just kind of clipped yes very clipped very rushed okay do you think we're really jumped today finn asks i don't know you say <laughs> weather looks good we're ready and so are patty allison and michael I'd say it's a go. Just hearing your own words once again gives you a shiver of excitement tinged with real fear. You've been through weeks of training here in the wilderness to become a smoke jumper. You have packed and repacked your chute and practiced jumps close to the ground. You've learned to carry heavy loads of more than 40 pounds for three miles in just 45 minutes. I assume that's good. Is that impressive? It must be impressive. (laughs) Today may be the day. Your first real parachute jump. You were ready and eager, but you were also scared. Your secret fear is that you might freeze during your first jump and your friends will see you as a coward. Fighting fires comes later, assuming you pass the jumping tests. You try your best not to be too doubtful and focus on the importance of your newly acquired skills. You remind yourself that more than half of the training group has already dropped out due to the pressure of the job. Whoa! You and Finn, your tent mate, both remain. Two of you became friends quickly because you both come from cities and have become used to camping in the wild terrain together. You're both keen environmentalists, and you've learned that smoke jumping is crucial in extreme forest fires. Should I just continue to the next? Yes, please. Uh, we'd, better, uh, we'd better jump. I'm getting tired of this waiting, Finn says, bringing you back to reality. You nod in agreement and busy yourself with the details of cleaning up the tent and the campsite. Leave only footprints. The others are just emerging from their tents, and their chatter is very similar to Finn's and yours. Man, Montgomery Turned doing a lot of work. Yeah, there boy, on that page. Reading a lot right in a row. Do you want to go page four? Yeah, wow. Okay. Breakfast as usual is mammoth. Pancakes, eggs, bacon, toast, cereal, juice, and tea. The cook, <laughs> Dot Jones, grew up Whoa. on a California dairy farm and became NCAA p- shot put champion and 10 times world women's arm wrestling champion. Despite her size, she's a sweet, gentle soul. I guess because she's like a big arm wrestling champ. Yeah, right? she's got big old tree trunk arms. Great. Although you notice no one criticizes her cooking to her face. Dig in, Dot urges. You eat like birds. You're going to be eating smoke soon, so you better have some <laughs> real food now while you can. What's with all of you anyway? You're tempted to tell her that birds actually eat more food each day than humans do in proportion to their body weight, but you resist the temptation. Man, we suck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You don't want Dot to think you're a wise acre. She's really nice and always encouraging everyone downplaying the dangers and the difficulties. You notice the other tables in the dining hall are empty once again. The veteran jumpers are out on a fire on a fork of Bear Creek, some 80 miles from camp. They've been gone for three days, and there are reports that they are having trouble. Several times during the last few days, you've thought you smelled smoke in the air. When you ask Dot, she sniffs and agrees. See them clouds? Those dark, smudgy ones? She asks. Well, more than likely, that's smoke from the fire coming downriver from one of those steep valleys. Some say it was lit. I bet it was. What do you mean, you ask, knowing her answer? Just that. Someone set the fire. Happens, and when it does, it's nasty. (laughs) 
<laughs> this voice is morphed. It's really a little trouble. bit. I'm having trouble with that. Um, mm-hmm. But but why? Why would someone do something like that? <laughs> Some folks can be strange. Dot shrugs and shakes her head. What's important is to put them out once they start. Most fires are caused by nature. You know, lightning strikes and does its work. And when it's dry like this summer, we're in for some hot times. As you finish your breakfast, Henry Bruyard arrives in his (laughs) 4x4 pickup, a cloud of road dust kicking up behind him. Henry is in charge of the summer program. He's a native of New Orleans. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't. Can you give me like your best gambit impression, Andrew? Gambit impression, or like some, you know, someone from the Bayou. Oh boy, uh, like, no, I'm oh not going to do that. As <laughs> what Henry, if you just went? Down, what if you just likes, went down to like Droopy Dog? As Henry likes to say, "A man raised on what do you?" Uh, See, this is like televangelist, like low energy televangelist. A man raised on floods and water is bound to be attracted to drought and fire. Henry stands over six feet tall with mahogany skin and piercing eyes. You get the feeling any fire that saw Henry coming would turn and burn in the other direction. That's not how fire Although Henry's tough, he's fair and truly interested in his job and the welfare of all his jumpers. Turn to the next page. Oh, man. Ari Montgomery heard of showing and not telling. Not a lot of choices so far. Uh, Jumping down from the truck, Henry strides across the open ground, smiling and yet looking determined at the same time. Okay, gather around, everybody. This is what you've all been waiting for. It's also what you've been dreading, he says, chuckling. There is a sprinkle of nervous laughter, but not from you. Heck no. Today, at 0900 hours, you will make your first jump. As you know, you need 10 jumps to qualify as a smoke jumper. A whoop of excitement goes up, and there is a lot of backslapping and poking in the ribs from your group of soon-to-be jumpers. Quiet down. Have your gear ready and meet me at the airfield, ready to go in 10 minutes. Three hours later, you are climbing with the others up an aluminum ladder into the Otter transport plane that is used as a jump ship. As you climb aboard, the starboard engine is already ticking over, and the prop wash gives everyone a good fanning. What does that even mean? It's I assume it's smoke jumper lingo, Craig. <laughs> We're going to be swimming in that for a while. It takes a few seconds for your eyes to adjust to the dark interior of the plane. Inside the ten of you, plus Briard and the no-nonsense jump master, Erica Hepburn, take your seats. Erica checks with the ground crew, then closes the door. Nobody's talking. They're, they all are either staring at the floor or double-checking their gear. Craig, tell me what... You think this picture on page seven is depicting? There is, is this Henry Bruyard. I believe there is a man named Henry Bruyard who is wearing cowboy boots, jeans, a belt, a tucked-in checkered shirt, and a bolo tie, and a hat that's not quite a cowboy hat. It's a little f- more fanciful, sort of a controlled cowboy hat, like not as big as you might expect. Yes, and he has a mustache and maybe a little bit of a soul patch, or that could be a shadow. And mm-hmm. he is he is very gently petting his truck <laughs> that has some sick rims, and he is. It nice looks rims. like he is like kind of approaching us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he is beckoning us. Um, okay. All right, so page eight. 
The plane rolls down the dirt runway and slowly lifts off, climbing into the clear morning air. You try to convince yourself that the butterflies fluttering in your stomach are from excitement, not fear. Twenty minutes later, the plane has reached the proper altitude. It begins to circle in slow arcs, and you look out of the small rectangular window at the crowd at the ground below. Everything looks so small when you are almost 3,000 feet above it. Trees, streams, cars, and buildings. The mountains rise all around you to the north and west. If only you could just enjoy the view and not have to worry about jumping. Suddenly, a voice cuts through your reverie. It comes from a speaker mounted on the bulkhead, separating the cargo hold from the pilot's captain, and repeats, Approaching drop zone. A red light winks on and off above the cargo door that is about to be your exit to the jump. Below the red light is an unlit green light. Yours are not the only eyes that are glued to these lights, waiting for your signal to jump. Briard stands up. He makes some last-minute adjustments to his equipment, tugging here and there on the harness and the webbing. Everyone else does the same. The first jump will be the static line jump, he instructs you. When you step out of the plane, all you have to worry about is the position of your body. The chute will open automatically when the ripcord attached to the line in the plane is pulled taut. Turn the next page. Okay. You're about to enter an elite team of firefighters, Bruyard hollers over the engine. The next time you do this... You may be suspended above a fire so out of control that people's lives will depend on your successful jump. We haven't done Erica yet. Mm-mm. She's the no-nonsense jump master. She's no-nonsense, so let's not have any nonsense in the voice, and it'll just be our voice. Okay. Erica great. is us. Okay, piece of cake. All of you will do fine, says Erica, but her attempt to calm you down doesn't really work. That sounds right, yeah. Your stomach feels like it's no longer a part of your body. You can almost hear your heart beating. Something inside you, a premonition perhaps, tells you not to jump. It's only natural to have second thoughts, you realize. You look down again. Can you go through with it? Finally, our first choice. If you decide to abort the jump, turn to page 31. If you decide to go ahead with the jump, turn to page 13. Do we have any evidence that we would not go through with this jump? I mean, we are nervous, but I feel like it's been established that one, like we've already made it through some obstacles, like about half of the people in this program have already left. Yes. And two, like peer pressure is is Real. doing its doing its thing. I see now me personally, I am very invested in Mr. Henry Bruard. And if he <laughs> wants to do something, I wanna do it too. <laughs> you wanna follow him so he can keep being Henry Bruyard. Yeah, if my like mom asked me if Henry Bruyard jumped off a bridge, would you too? I would say yes. So I would say, what does his voice sound like? And then after I heard what his voice sounded like, I would say yes, yes. for sure. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the jump. So I'm going to turn to page 13. All right. I'm not even going to put my finger in this one because I feel very good about it. All right. We okay. got another photo here. It's a... <laughs> crowd of people in like jumper suits staring nervously out the open door of a plane and then one person sort of facing the camera yeah the or camera is, is this supposed to be like our perspective i'm not sure who is who is flashing a thumbs up seems very confident okay great you set aside your fears as best you can and decide to go through with the jump after all 10 seconds to drop the pilot announces the red light then blinks off and the green light comes on Everybody hooked up? Erica asks. Everybody nods, checking to see that they are hooked up to the static line. You see Finn, and he gives you the thumbs-up signal. He looks calm, and you envy him, although he's probably feeling the same as, if not worse than, you are. 
you just got to do that little tiny dig at Finn. Like, yeah. oh, he's probably feeling worse than us. Yeah, that makes just, me feel better. Yes. Finn sucks just a little bit worse than me. Uh, <laughs> uh, let, what is, let's go, Bruyard shouts. The first person steps out without hesitation, then the second, and then the third. But the fourth person hesitates, his fingers gripping the side of the fuselage. Briard's, Briard unhooks him from the static line, and he steps aside as the rest of you continue with the jump. Yeah, see, we don't want to be that guy. No. You know? Uh, you want to do this page, Andrew? Yes. It's your turn, and you step out into thin air. Your stomach lurches as you begin to freefall. Your chute opens automatically with a snap and fills with air, straining against your shoulders. You hang in the air, gently falling toward the beautiful uh, world below. Treetops are small enough to be broccoli heads, and you kick the legs. You kick your legs out to feel the resistance of the wind. The parafoil supports you. It has swelled from bunched-up multicolored nylon into a ribbed rectangular shape that works like the wing of a plane. It is very different from the old round parachutes. God, you remember those? You remember those jerky <laughs> things? These can be directed with much greater precision, and the landing, if done right, can be gentle enough for you to hit the earth without much shock to your feet. I had actually never thought about the difference between round and rectangular parachutes. Yeah, it's sort of... an interesting tidbit to know. Well, because in my brain, there are round parachutes and there are, uh, like, hang gliders. And this appears to be somewhere in the middle. Right. Um, Have you ever been... You've you've never jumped out of a plane. Oh, no. (laughs) There was one time where, like, a group of people I didn't really know that well were doing, like, a Groupon skydive. Oh, God. And I almost did it, but I talked myself out of it and I've kind of low-key regretted it mm. ever since. Yeah, because maybe you would have done it back then, but never now <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. I, got a, I have a child now. <laughs> I went parasailing once, which is nowhere near the same thing. But you are yeah, still... Yeah, but you're up there. You, you know? are up there. I was probably a few stories up above the ocean, which was kind of cool. Okay, continue. Uh-huh. Uh, your spirits are rising. You've done it. Looking out, you see the red and yellow parafoils of the others around you. A feeling of, of exhilaration and well-being overcomes you, but you remember what Erica and Bruyard have dr- drummed into your head. Be awake. Concentrate. You're not sightseeing. Maintaining your excitement, you focus your attention on the wind and the rapidly approaching ground. Turn to page 16. I And before you describe the picture that we're seeing, I really like that this book has decided to make the hardest, weirdest name the one that it, like, he's, it's not calling him Henry, which is a name that, like, a 10-year-old could <laughs> read and pronounce. It's calling him Bruyard. You need to be very aware of his almost Frenchness at all times. Mm-hmm. Very, we, we could have gone that direction. Um, so this image is very uh, artistic. It's very like aesthetically interesting. It's got like feet up top from an interesting perspective. Um, they're very close to the quote-unquote camera. It sort of gets impressionistic a little bit Yes, toward the bottom. You can see some roads... Uh, and some trees and another person's parasail. Um, I don't know what if that's supposed to be the ocean or what that is up top. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's like a body of water. Or, I, I think body of water, like a lake or an ocean. Yeah, but we yeah. shall see. <clears throat> we sure will. Eric and Briard were the last ones out of the plane, <laughs> but they were in free fall long enough to catch up with the rest of you. You see them hanging from their chutes and they give you a thumbs up. Lots of thumbs up in this book. If we have to retire the handshake, then we are really going to lean into the thumbs up. I'll tell you oh, what. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, two assistant jump masters are, are on the ground with battery-powered bullhorns. They are giving directions and encouragement. Watch the wind. Hey, you. Move over to the right. Good job, all. You're doing just fine. 
you watch as the first two jumpers touch ground. The first one does it textbook style, stepping down, her shoot emptied of air. The second is not as fortunate. He hits the ground hard and tumbles, being dragged a few yards before his shoot spills its air. An assistant jumpmaster quickly goes to his aid. You take a deep breath and hope you land safely on your own. What are we looking at here, Andrew? Uh, we're just looking at some folks landing in a sort of clearing with their parachutes and somebody standing there holding a megaphone, like cheering us on. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, so page 18. Boy, man, a lot of big dearth of choices. We've got another couple pages to go to until our next one. Okay. Now is your turn. The ground comes up fast. Instinctively, you adjust the risers the way you've practiced. You feel a small jolt like coming off a chairlift, and you are on the ground and standing. The others follow. Almost evenly, they are divided between those who take a tumble and those who don't. No one is hurt. You watch as Erica and Bruyard land. You are so excited with your accomplishment that you want to climb right back into the jump plane and do it again. Well done, all of you, Briard says as he goes from person to person, shaking hands and slapping backs. Congratulations, you're all jumpers now. You sit down in a circle to discuss the success of the jump. Uh, remind me, Erica. It's just us. You said she's no. Oh nonsense. yeah, right. Erica's okay. Yes, I said great, great, great. You've all done extremely well. Erica continues for Briard, but there's still a lot left to learn. Each area you jump will be different, and today there was no fire, no peril, no risk. We can learn a lot in this area nonetheless. Erica tells you about the area of the mountains you're in now and what makes them particularly vulnerable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I made my first smoke jump not far from here, she tells you. The Bear Jaw Fire of 1995. We lost an entire face of the San Francisco Peaks. Another trainee named Sally raises her hand. Wasn't that the fire where the mysterious Indians came out of nowhere to fight the fire? And then she said after that, I'm sorry, I meant to say Native Americans. She definitely did, yes. Erica looks momentarily uneasy. She glances at Bruyard and continues, Many locals helped, but there's no mystery about it. It's classic good firefighting. Turn to the next page. All classic. Right. We will have a choice at the end of this, thankfully. Excellent. You find that it is difficult to concentrate fully on what Erica and Bruyard are saying. You know that you should pay attention, but the excitement of the day obscures their words. Your mind drifts back to the incredible feeling of being in the air, being a part of it, moving slowly toward Earth and being able to control your path as if you were flying. Man, we are so high. Yeah, like we're so jump horny right now. We can't even listen to what our, what our mentors are telling us. Oh, my God, I'm lit. Erica is talking about the dangers of dropping into a fire zone. She mentions the rising air currents called thermals and explains how difficult they are to judge. In the midst of this talk, Briard gets a call on his radio and leaves for a second, returning breathless. I need two volunteers, he announces in a measured but excited tone. All attention is focused on him instantly. Even Erica is waiting on his next words. We've got a problem, Briard says. About... 60 miles northwest of here, there are a couple of small fires. Nothing big. Local groups should have them under control soon. But you can't bet on that. We've got to check the situation out. As you know, our other regulars are on that big burn up on Bear Creek. I need two volunteers to come with me. Any takers? Everyone's hand shoots up. Bruyard surveys the group, pleased with the response. There is a downside to this mission, he continues. Whoever goes will miss two or three days of jump training. We'll do our best, but you'll be missing time, and all you know the rules. To qualify, you have to complete all the jumps. Unfortunately, this will delay your certification as a smoke jumper until we can reschedule the jumps you missed. Any takers still? 
The opportunity is certainly an exciting one, but you're not sure if you want to delay your certification. After all, that's what you've been working for. The more you think about it, however, the more you realize that the bottom line in your decision to train is to put out fires and save lives. And this is your chance. Rescheduling the jumps wouldn't be the worst thing that could happen to you. This experience you would gain from going on this fire could only be valuable and would certainly look good on your record. If you decide to volunteer and go with Bruyard, turn to page 22. If you decide to stay with the jump class, Andrew, turn to page 45. So there are a lot of, I, th- I think I have three in-character reasons, well, two in-character reasons and one meta reason why we should go with Bruyard. Reason mm-hmm. one is we have committed to st- sticking with Henry Bruyard for as long as we can. We do find him fascinating. We maybe have a little bit of a crush on him that we haven't admitted even to ourselves. Uh-huh. Number two we did, we, you know, half of the people did a perfect jump, half of them tumbled on their butts. We did a perfect jump. So I feel like we don't, we don't need the practice as much as some other people do. Like we are, we are pretty good at the mechanics of jumping. Correct. We are skilled jumpers. The third meta reason is remember, as Haymitch said to Katniss, <laughs> remember who the enemy is. And the enemy is, the enemy is fires. <laughs> we must fight fire wherever it occurs, Craig. Okay. So we volunteer and go with Bruyard and turn to page 22. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in this one just in case. I'll I'll go, chief. Wait, wait. You That's got, a little too dry. You got to be you got to be like surfer California boy. Yo, I'll go, chief. <laughs> you say someone surprised by your own conviction? <laughs> Me too. Finn shouts standing up. The others seem relieved that there are enough volunteers. They remain two two volunteers will beat this fire back. The others seem relieved that there are enough volunteers. They remain silent, turning their attention back to Erica's instruction and the problems of landing in a burn zone. Okay, follow me, Briard says, and thanks. I appreciate what you've given up. I'll do my best to make it up to you. Moments later, the three of you are bouncing along a dirt road in a 4x4, headed to a helipad where the two Alouette helicopters are parked. This is the first time you've ever been inside one of these French jet helicopters. One of these French jet helicopters. (laughs) Well known for their ability to perform at high altitudes in the Alps of Europe, Sam. Quickly, you load your gear into the far one. With Briard at the controls, you lift off the pad, swerve into the air like a dragonfly, heading for the site of the first fire. You feel like a veteran now that you've had your first successful jump, but you don't want to get too sure of yourself. Jumping is dangerous, just like riding a motorcycle or climbing mountains. (laughs) The two (laughs) Two things. equally dangerous activities. (laughs) You're risking your life. You must take nothing for granted. Be prepared and concentrate. You remind yourself among the noise of the rotors. Turn to the next page. We got a picture of a helicopter. It's pretty textbook. The scenery below speeds past. 35 minutes later, you circle a patch of smoke. Briard points to it, nods his head, and searches for a landing area. He spots one, a break in the trees cut just for this purpose, over by two people signaling with a yellow ground sheet. The alouette descends swiftly. When the rotors come to rest, the three of you climb out. You smell freshly cut pine and wood smoke. The two smells bring back memories of camping trips with your dad when you were younger. He always took you and your sister up into Northern California to canoe and to fish. California? Do you mean Canada? Oh, I meant Canada. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, he always took you and your sister up into Northern Canada to canoe and fish for two weeks every summer from the year you were seven until you were 14. That last summer was the best. You caught a salmon that was record size, at least in your family, and it was ex- <laughs> exciting to dilute the unhappiness of your parents' divorce. That Whoa, sentence crept up on me holy crap 
You wait. You caught a salmon that was record size, at least in your family, and it was exciting enough to dilute the unhappiness of your parents' divorce. Okay, was it like just for you, the character, or did it like for everyone? The, the, si- the size of the salmon make your parents' divorce more amicable. Well, this was going to be a otherwise. terrible like crap show, but you know, our our kid here caught a sweet cod and everything is going to be fine now salmon it's a salmon craig well i was so just salmon in a cod i was so distraught i forgot what kind of fish it was due to the unhappiness so you caught a you caught a salmon that was was good enough to make their divorce better but not good enough to stop them from getting divorced (laughs) what happens oh my god (laughs) it felt really good being out in the woods and lakes and you had a lot of fun even though you loved your friends in the city you grew up in the time you spent outside with your family together in the wilderness is what you always remember as the best parts of the year that's what families are all about you've always thought Enjoying each other's company, sticking together, and no fighting. That was one of your dad's rules. Arguments were okay, he would always say, but fighting was out. He wouldn't tolerate it. Fighting is for mommies and daddies, kids. (laughs) (laughs) You realize your mind is wandering and you need to focus on the mission ahead of you. I can't remember one of these books that has given a full-on character backstory monologue like this where Mm -hmm. it's like, your family has issues. You yeah, think you're a about child of them. divorce. How does that make you feel about fires? <laughs> you think about them as you rummage around in the cabinet. Um, hey, hey, deeper, just like deeper, but not too deep, and not too drawly either. Hey, you okay? Bruyard asks, coming up to you <laughs> with a quizzical look. Yeah, I'm fine. You say. Smoke got to me for a moment. Guess I'm still a little excited from the jump. Well, come on over. I want to introduce you to these guys, Briard says. Finn, you notice, has already walked over and introduced himself. Classic Finn. Before you get a chance to shake hands with the two rangers, you are interrupted by the sound of the walkie-talkie hanging from the limb of a pine in the clearing. Ranger 3! Ranger 3! Mayday! Need a medevac! Upriver! Up Do you read? Loud and clear! Standing by! Ranger 3 replies. <laughs> uh, there's a, Who's talking right now? There's a ranger down. Looks like smoke inhalation. We need Bruyard and his chopper. Our other one's out. Bruyard nods a sin. <laughs> I can't. He's on his way. He'll meet you at base camp over by Rocky Ridge. Negative. Further upstream. Tell him to be careful. It's going to be tight getting in. We need help fast. Vital signs are weak. Turn to page 27. I think this is Bruyard who has changed clothes since the last time we described him. Or maybe this is Ranger 3 who just looks a lot like Henry Bruyard. No, this is definitely Bruyard. All right. He's reaching his hand out to us and and kind of encouraging. Uncle Sam style, yeah. Yes, while a uh, helicopter flies across in the background. Before the message is completed, Bruyard is already at the helicopter. Moments later, he is airborne and away. You stare at the quickly receding copter, wondering what is next, but you don't have to wonder for long. The ranger finishes up with his message on the radio and turns toward you and Finn. I guess this what? is the guy I was doing sort of a bad, strong bad. Named Stamos, yeah. he says to you, introducing himself. John Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to send a patrol out along that rim, he continues, pointing to the distant horizon and getting down to business. We've had a report that there might be some campers over there. If the fire spreads, it could be bad. I also need help with the fire we've got going right here. It's almost under control, but our rangers, they need a break. We could use some new blood. How do I type with these boxing gloves on? 
you've gone from first jump to firefighting and patrols all in the same day. You've always been the kind of person who can accept change and to be flexible in developing situations like your parents' divorce, apparently. <laughs> but you think you might be stepping in over your head here. You're not scared. It's just that things are moving fast, almost too fast. You look at Finn. If you decide to go on patrol, turn to page 28. If you decide to help the rangers with the fire, turn to page 37. What is the difference between... Does patrol just mean, like, do my own thing? And rangers with the fire is, like... I got- so rangers, rangers with the fire is actually fighting the fire. The go on patrol is, like, there are there are other people in the area who might need to be warned about the fire... But you could also find other things while you're going out to patrol, is my understanding. Okay. my So I'm looking at this very inspirational illustration of Henry Briard. And I really just, don't think it's Henry Briard, but I like to think that it might be. I'm just thinking, like, what would Briard do? And I think that he would help the rangers with the fire. Okay. That is why we came here. That is why Remember we came here, enemies. is to help with yeah. the fire. So we're going to okay, go to page so- 37. I'm going to put a pin in this one. This seems like a good choice, yeah. Uh, Turn to page 37, great. Uh, I hope we stick with Stamos for a good long time, though, because we've burned a very good voice on him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Deciding to fight the fire, you surprise Finn by the way you speak right up. We'll fight the fire, you offer. He just sort of shrugs his shoulders. You hope you didn't hurt his feelings, but when you feel something's right, you go for it. Stamos radios the firefighting team. This is Stamos. Send Maria to patrol the ridge for pilgrims. I'm going over. To, I'm going to the fire with two of the new trainees. Over. Sure thing, Chief. Step four. Turn to the next page. What are pilgrims? You ask Stamos. Stamos laughs. Oh, just a nickname we have for campers. Nothing bad, really. It's just that they're so earnest. So many seeing this country for the first time. Anyway, let's head out. Time's a-wasting. Okay, this is definitely an illustration of Stamos. We thought it was Henry Briard, but does everybody no, in this world has sure the same Stamos. mustache? Yeah. You pile into the beat-up pickup with Finn and Stamos. The ride to the burn area is bumpy, and Stamos drives fast. Holding on to the, scout stanch- the stanchions. stanchions of the roll bar is all you can do to keep from falling out. Stamos looks over and sees your fearf- fearful expression. He laughs and accelerates further. Ha, 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 ha. Yeehaw, he shouts. It's firefighting time. 40 minutes later, you roll into a makeshift staging area where several other vehicles are parked. The smell of smoke is particularly heavy here, and the wind is picked up, sweeping down the narrow valley toward the fire. Okay, Stamos says. You've got safety gear, helmets, goggles, fire retardant jackets. Let me see your boots. Stamos checks them, making sure they are the kind with special insulation used for jumping and fires, which they are. (laughs) Here, you'll need these, he says, tossing shovels at you and Finn. <laughs> you also take your packs, canteens, and a limited amount of food. One radio is handed out, and Finn takes it. Remember, the two of you don't get split up. Stay in contact with the main group at all times. Fire can be really tricky. Just be careful. As you hit the trail, you realize it's not really a trail. <laughs> what? But a contour. It snakes around rock outcroppings, drops down to the river, crosses it, and heads up the other side. It is steep, and your footing is unsure. Stamos pushes ahead, and you and Finn do your best to keep up. Turn to the next page. I really like Stamos. Yeah, well, your strong bat is very strong, so. <laughs> it's one of my better voices, apparently. Uh, so this is, this is we, we see an illustration of Finn standing on some mountains or canyons or something pointing somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, once on the ridge, you stop for a moment to rest and get your bearings. Hey, what's that? Finn asks, pointing to the far ridge at what appears to be a figure. Looks like a person, but what's he doing? You reply. <laughs> he seems to be signaling. Maybe he needs help. The figure is waving a shirt and moving back and forth within a 10 or 12 foot space. <laughs> you try to shout, but it is too far and the noise of the stream blocks your voice from traveling. You figure that hiking to the ridge would take you about 50 minutes or so out of your way. What do you think, Finn? Should we investigate? Well, it's not that far, but maybe we should turn this one over to Stamos. You look around, but Stamos is out of your line of sight. You could try and catch up with him, uh, but maybe you can take the situation into your own hands and see what the man wants. If you decide to help the man, turn to page 60. If you catch up with Stamos, turn to page 71. This is tough because we are sort of amateurs, right? Like, we haven't done this before. I feel very unmoored. Like, we were jumping out just an hour ago. We were jumping out of a a plane with Henry Bruyard and Erica, and now we've been deputized by Stamos. And now we might go wander away on our own? Yeah, I just feel I feel like we don't know enough about what's going on. We might get to the man and find out that he's just like another firefighter or like somebody doing what he's supposed to be doing and we don't know what we're looking at because we're amateurs. He is like we're un- uncertified amateurs. Yeah, he is waving a shirt and moving back and forth within a 10 or 12 foot space and I'm not really sure what that means. I feel like maybe we should ask Stamos. Yeah, let's try and catch up with Stamos. Turn to page 71. Okay. All you, bud. There might be another one to put a finger in, but I'm not going to. All right. Let's see what's. Let's see what Stamos. Well, I'm getting too Stamos in there. Let's see what Stamos says. You say to Finn, you stay here, dude. (laughs) Keep that guy in sight. I'll go up the trail and get Stamos, okay? Sure, boss. Finn says, throwing you a smart salute. Hey, I'm just making a suggestion. Well, your suggestion, as you call it, sounds suspiciously like a command to me. Nature abhors a vacuum, and you just love to fill those vacuums. Hey, ease up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be bossy. Well, you are sometimes, Finn says, lowering his voice a notch. You can tell that the fight is over. I didn't know we were in a fight. (laughs) You feel bad that you hurt his feelings. Still, you were just about to counter with the criticism that he occasionally acts and talks like a preppy snob. (laughs) But reason takes over and you say nothing. One thing has nothing to do with the other. So why don't we flip for it? You suggest taking a coin in your pocket. Great, I'll take heads. You flip the coin, watching as it spins in the air, the sun catching it for just a split second and reflecting off the silver. I will point out that a coin flip is a great opportunity to insert a choice into your choose your own adventure. Yeah, book. a little bit, huh? <laughs> you really missed it's, that one. It uh, it hits the ground with a thunk. Heads, you got it, you say. Great, you go after Stamos, and I'll stay, he says. Hey, wait a minute. I thought, well, don't. I was going to stay anyway. I just don't like being bossed around and told what to do. Go. Turn to page 86. Um, we see an image of what's going to be a whole thing appears to be Stamos. I think this is Stamos in hell. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of fire. There's a bandana over his face. Um, not 15 minutes up the trail. You get into a zone of heavy smoke, eyes stinging, nostrils clogging. You cough and hack, wondering how you'll be able to keep moving further on. You didn't expect it to be this bad for a few moments. You consider turning back, but then from out of the smoke comes Stamos. Uh, Hey, wait, who's talking? 
Oh, it's Stamos. Stamos is talking. Hey, where were you guys? I turned around and you were gone. Come, we need help. This fire is nastier than we thought. Yeah, but... No time for butts. Let's move it. Where's Finn? He's back about a quarter mile. We saw... Stamos cuts you off again. Well, get him! Stamos, well, you took will 15 you... minutes to move a quarter mile? <laughs> That's pretty bad. Stamos, will you listen for a minute? Your voice is firm and you finally get his attention. Okay, what is it? As I was trying to say, we saw a man back on the opposite ridge. He was waving a shirt or something. We think he needs help. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I've been trying to, Stamos. You're beginning to lose patience with this man. He's really harsh in your buzz at this point, I think. <laughs> what should we do? I'll cobble yard with the copter. Let me grab another ranger. With that, he melts back into the smoke as though he were an apparition. Oof. Turn to page 88. You walk back down the trail. When you find Finn, the two of you rush through the smoke to the area where the man was spotted. It's clearer here, but across the way you can see that the fire has made a turn and is approaching from both directions. You can also make out that more than one figure is standing there, about to be engulfed by flames. You radio Stamos, but there is no reply. You try Brew Yard and hear the same static. I'm going, I'm going to climb the ridge, Finn announces authoritatively. You can keep waiting for them if you want. You hesitate. You don't have any real firefighting experience yet. Finn doesn't even look back to see if you're following or not. But you know that even if you can't rescue the people who are stranded, you can't leave Finn on his own either. Should I just wheel us in? Yeah. Well, no, uh, the no, next time you... Page, no, turn to page 92. Oh, turn to page 92. All right. Sorry, I thought it was a continue thing. All right, you go for it. Okay. Uh, as you begin to climb, you hear the sound of a helicopter overhead and look up with relief. Bruyard looks down at you anxiously, Yay. and they direct the copter close enough that you and Finn can be picked up. Get in, shouts Bruyard. He and Stamos lift you off the side of the ridge and into the helicopter. We haven't spotted the people you saw yet, Bruyard tells you, and that's not a good sign. We have a report from another ranger station that there was a family of three people who last checked in three days ago. They're filming a nature documentary and had limited supplies. Well, it sounds like they're bad at filming a nature <laughs> they were documentary. probably already lost when the fire broke out. Briard gives you and Finn a serious look. Look out at that smoke, he says. Over about an acre of fast-burning trees, a column of smoke is building vertically, capped with a short, thick layer of cloud. This is a plume fire, Briard tells you gravely. The heart of the fire is sucking into a thermal. It's going to be unpredictable and very dangerous. I need your full attention and focus. And there's a, what is this image, Andrew? I believe this is Henry Bruyard pulling Finn into the helicopter. That looks correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, 94. Okay. You and Finn don't say anything, just nod your heads and watch as the copter looms closer and closer to the fire. There are three people to be rescued, so you, Bruyard, and Finn will all be needed. <laughs> Stamos will drop down and work on the fire with rangers who are headed over to meet him. Just like during the trial run, you stand in your static line, ready to plunge into the fire. You give Finn a quick smile just before you jump and wish him good luck. The rangers on the ground radio that they have located the family. Briard rushes through preparations before the jump, anxious to reach them. You and Finn don't even speak. You're so focused. Surprisingly, the jump goes smoothly. All three members of the documentary team are rescued. When you're brought back to camp, they're so inspired and have lost so much of their previous footage that they decide to follow you and Finn for a year, making a documentary called Smoke Jumpers, Kings of the Sky. Heck yes. You and Finn will become semi-famous and will have to turn down several television talk show appearances, claiming you'd rather be jumping than achieving celebrity status. The end. Now, I don't agree. I feel like if you can achieve any kind of celebrity as a smoke jumper, you should use that to 
raise awareness and like further your cause. But I do like that we got a documentary made about us. I do like that also. Yes, it'll win an Oscar, and then like people won't really think about it ever again. <laughs> yeah, is- or it'll, it'll be like on the like best short film list or something, and yes. nobody will like it. It won't win. It'll get some buzz and then it'll disappear forever. Yes. We'll be on someone's resume later uh-huh. when they win an award for something else. Or like a bunch of <clears throat> college kids, like 15 years later, will be like, man, did, didn't you love that documentary, Smoke Jumpers, Kings of the Sky? There's that one sequence yeah. that really, really nailed it. And we're back. Hey everybody, my baby woke up, and so we had to stop recording the podcast. We've never had to do this before. Henry has supported us this whole time. Eight and a half months he's been alive, and we've never, and some of that is on us for like never trying to record during a, during a danger window. But Yes. So we it, we decided to support him and stop. We were at yeah, a good I went stopping to go, point. I went to go parent as a, <laughs> podcasting or parenting is a classic... <laughs> <laughs> new parent conundrum that a lot of people have to have to worry about. So you, the listener, know this. We just finished an ending where Finn and our hero, us, um, you know, did some cool stuff and then got featured in a documentary called Smoke Jumpers, Kings of the Smoke Sky. Jumpers, Kings of the Sky, right, yes. Um, I did take some notes uh, because it, a, a whole 24 hours has passed since we recorded five minutes ago in your yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was Wednesday night when we tried to record, and so I didn't know if it was gonna how soon we were gonna get back to it. So I was like, Craig, can you please write down what voices we were using for what characters in case it's like four days from now yes. when we come back to finish this. So here's what I have: our main character is a slacker Californian, sort of high, wants to fight fires, doesn't want his hello his mellow harsh. So like yes. slacker California. California, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Finn is the second banana. Talks fast and clipped. Uh, Henry Bruyard, love uh, Henry the, Bruyard, the best from New Orleans, but we don't have a Cajun accent, so he's like comfortably Southern, relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erica, no nonsense, jump master, no nonsense means just our voices. <laughs> and then Stamos, Andrew, who is Stamos? Samos sounds like Strong Bad from the Homestar Runner cartoons. Yeah, he's Strong Bad. That's it. He's Strong Bad. That's all we got. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, we did that. We we want to go back to a few options. Yeah. Um, we, so, we had bookmarked two. Um, Craig, you had done one on page 40, which is where we were we were asked to either go save like that man who was waving a shirt or go help Stamos, like follow Stamos to go find the fire. Yeah. I and think then we decided marked, to go to the man. We decided, well, we no, we decided to follow Stamos and eventually we went back to the man. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And then uh, mine is 27 where we meet Stamos for the first time. He's holding his hand out to us as Henry Bruyard flies away to go do something. <laughs> and we're given the option to either go and patrol and look for people or go help the rangers with the fire, and we went to go on patrol to help people. I think we should. Or wait, go no, all no, no. The... We went. Did we? We went to go see the fire, right? Because fire's the enemy. Yes. Why don't we go all the way back to that one? Because I feel like that's going to be a wider branch. All right. So let's go to twenty-seven, and then and then uh, should we read it again? I think that it's people like the last paragraph. They'll yeah. Um, they'll get it. 
You've gone from first jump to firefighting and patrols all on the same day. You've always been the kind of person who can accept change and to be flexible in developing situations. But you think you might be stepping in over your head here. You're not scared. It's just that things are moving fast. Almost too fast. You look at Finn. If you decide to go on patrol, turn to page 28. Okay. So we're going to do that. All right. Give me 28. You decide to go on patrol and warn the campers who might be up on the rim. Stamos briefs you on the area, providing you with a topographic map. He circles an area of about four miles where the group of campers were last seen. He also gives you a radio, but he cautions you. The range on this thing is limited. It's an old model and the batteries are weak. You can't really rely on it. Stay out of trouble. Have you got rations? You're doing too much Finn. You gotta give me more Strong Bad. Sorry. Well, I don't know what speed... He... Strong Bad talks fast sometimes. It's not that fast. It's more, I'm checking my email. Oh, have you got rations? Yeah, there, there you go. go. Yeah, it's, just, it's a little <laughs> tiny bit. It's between what you were doing and Cookie Monster somewhere. Sure, okay. <laughs> well, not really. I have enough. I, woo. I have enough for today. I get, mm, I got to get higher. It helped me to say dude after every sentence when I was losing. Well, not really, dude. Yeah, I have enough go. for today, I guess. A <laughs> sandwich, a candy bar, a couple of oranges, man. What about a canteen? Have you got a parka or a poncho? He asks. I have to think about Strong Bad's head bouncing. That helps. Yeah, that helps. Um, yeah, it gives you the rhythm. You shake your head. Here, take this. It's the only one I have. Uh, Stamos hands you a windbreaker. It's forest green, a color that blends in too well with your surroundings. If you were in trouble out in the woods or the mountains, you might never be spotted. Your dad always stressed the importance of using bright colors in the outdoors. He said it was an extra margin of safety, and you never knew when it would be needed. He probably walked out in the woods a lot during his terrible marriage. You have Yeah, I was going to say, man, your dad knows a lot about foresting but not much about women i guess they're not a lot about being home um you hesitate grabbing the jacket but given the circumstances it will have to do uh are you familiar with the area asks stamos i've been here for about a month but uh i've been here for about a month but only at the campsite training with the other jumpers man stamos nods i see well you'll need to watch out for snakes he said but i'm sure you know that there's lots of things to be careful of out here he warns. Wolves, bears, a few unfriendly people. He gives you a quick glance. Just get the job done and head right back. And if you run into anyone that looks like they live out here, don't start anything. People are sort of territorial out here. You can use this canteen. Remember, sunset is close to eight o'clock. It's almost one right now. Try to get back before dark, okay? We'll meet you here. Stamos instructs. Turn to the next Watch night. out for snakes. Watch out for snakes. No problem, man, you reply, anxious to get on your way, but not too anxious, obviously. (laughs) You can't believe the time. It seems like a week has passed since you got up this morning. Looking around, you realize Finn has already left with the other ranger to help with the fire. Oh, almost forgot. You got a flashlight? Stamos asks, asks, as anxious as he is to be on his way, you can sense that he is a careful man. Mm. Sure thing, brah. It's small, but good, you reply, patting your side. Whether you're in the city or camping, you've always taken it along. That's a weird thing. What does that <laughs> sentence mean? <laughs> Good luck. Stay calm. Radio me if you feel if you need to. Remember, don't take any risks. And if you see any sign of fire, beat it. Get yourself right back here, okay? You can be sure of it, man, you reply. Stamos flashes you a half grin, then heads off for the fire. Turn to page 32. Dang. Some sort got of... got like a very, like 
persistence of memory kind of melting tree <laughs> over like a summoning circle of rocks or something. <laughs> Taking a deep breath, you try to reach down within yourself and come up with a sense of calm and well-being. You imagine a still forest pond. It's a trick your dad taught you. <laughs> dad, you make up the pond. It's calmness, it's depth, and it's beauty. Focusing, you see almost no ripples. You hear no sound. Your heart steadies its beat and slows down. Your mind clears and your thoughts are focused. Above you, the afternoon clouds have moved into their usual position. The wind picks up a bit. That could mean trouble. The wind not only feeds the fires, but also carries them along. You'll have to keep the direction of the wind in mind as you patrol. The route on the topo map is pretty straightforward. You follow a stream for almost a mile, finding the trail easily. The trees are old and well-spaced. There isn't too much underbrush. As you walk, you find it a kind of relief to be on your own. Away from the excitement of the jump school and the noise of the others, you relax as your breathing settles down into its natural rhythm. A mile or so later, the stream hooks left, and you start to head uphill. The terrain is more difficult, and you slip a few times. You study the map several times, making sure you're reading it correctly. You keep worrying you're getting off track. Glancing around, you realize that you also get the feeling that you're being followed. Stop being so anxious, you tell yourself. These fears are just in your mind. So this is like some sort of, like mindfulness walking simulator that's happening right now turn to well, page and also much like a, a a golf video game we do have to keep in mind the direction and speed that the wind yes, is correct <laughs> so we can hit our balls in the right direction uh stamos has circled an area on the map marked with craggy rocks that overlook a valley and a stream you're certain you've gone the wrong way there are craggy rocks all right but all you see beyond them are more craggy rocks dry as desert you look out over the barren land and worry. You wonder if the map is outdated or if you've gone the wrong way. You sit for a second. I'll eat some lunch, you think. Get my mind going again. As you sit to eat, you hear a stick break. You realize your intuition was right. You definitely have not been hiking alone. Turn to page 72. We'll see how long 72 is, and I might take that one, too. Yeah, you should take it. Okay. Is anyone here? You ask your hand on the radio in case you need to call for help. You wait a second and ask again. To your surprise, a woman in rugged clothing steps from behind part of the rock wall. I'm sorry to sneak up on you. My name is Nasha, she says. I've been hiking near you for a while. I keep an eye on this part of the mountainside, sugar. She looks at you questioningly. You walk like you have something important to do. I'm a smoke jumper, man, you tell her. Well, I'm training, you add quickly. She listens intently. I've been working with Henry Bruyard and Erica Hepburn for the past five weeks. Well, I have worked with Erica myself, Nasha says. I met her at Bearjaw. You remember the fire that Erica described right before you left on this mission. Are you a smoke jumper too? You ask. Not exactly, says Nasha. She gives you a long look. It's an interesting laugh, but too dangerous for little old me. I live in a setting of Miwok Indians very close to here. And then she says... I meant to say Native Americans. <laughs> she she might we'll let her use what word she she uses. Uh, I just like that every woman that I do is just Mrs. Big Head, and every mm-hmm. random woman you do is a Georgia Peach. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are the voices we have access to, I suppose. Um, okay, uh, you must have come from that small fire that the Rangers have been working on. Nasha says is to bad they've spent so much time on that little valve fire when we've got a gorge to worry about gorge chilling gorge just 20 minutes from here i'm heading up there myself she looks at you confidently we could use your help if you've really been trained by erica you feel as though nasha knows what she's talking about and if she is a friend of erica's you'd like to help her however you don't want to desert your mission 
We could really use your help, Nasha insists. Trust me, no one knows this land the way my people and I do, and this fire will burn through a very old forest if we don't take care of it. If you go with Nasha to Trillion Gorge, turn to page 42. If you decide to continue looking for those campers, which I've totally forgotten about, turn to page 58. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're getting into a little bit of a cul-de-sac over here. <laughs> so this um, is an opportunity to branch out, right? It is an opportunity to branch out, but we have been going for a while. It doesn't feel like it in our time stream, but it, it for the people at home, we have been going for a bit. Well, um, let's, we could go till the next ending and then call it, I think. Okay. Wherever that is. Sure. Uh, let's. Boy, I kind of. Do we want to find those campers though? I don't want to desert Stamos. I don't want Stamos to be disappointed with me. You know. Okay. We can go, we keep going well, on our mission. Nasha seems nice, but I want. I want Stamos or Henry Briard, one of them. Yeah, we got to find our way back to Mister Briard. So and both let's... of them are way out of the picture at this point. So okay. yeah, fifty fifty eight is where I would go. Great. Uh, take it away. I'm sorry, but I can't go with you, you say to Nasha. That's too much accent. I'll get there. <laughs> I have an assignment I must complete, dude. I understand, Nasha says. Be very careful in these forests. There are more dangers here than your smoke jump training may have prepared you for. Hey, wait a minute. I've got an idea, you say. What? She asks, already picking up her backpack to leave. <laughs> I've got a radio. I'll report the other fire. We can get some rangers down here immediately, man. No, no, that that's not necessary. We already have several people working on it, she says. Hey, no problem, you reply, removing the radio <laughs> and beginning to key it. I don't need you to call the rangers, Nasha says, taking the radio from your hand firmly with a grip that surprises you. I told you it will be taken care of. Go to the next page. I'm sorry, she tells you, but I can't let you call the rangers. They'll just interfere. Erica and I are good friends who have worked together before, but I don't trust just anyone to invade these forests. These are places where rangers have never been before. She studies you carefully, almost threateningly. I need to trust that you won't call the ranger station, and I'm not sure that I can. Nasha, you say. I'm training as a smoke jumper, and I take it very seriously. If there's a fire, I need to report it to the station, brah. She considers... Come with me and see for yourself, she says. If you still don't believe me, you can call your ranger station. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. This is tough, Andrew. This is tough because it is asking us to make the same decision as as last time, but with a more of an air of mystery about it. An I air guess. of mystery and a mayor of uh, an air of moral imperative. Like, mm. should we go? Like, you know, she lives here, maybe or nearby. Like, am I? Should we just go in there? I don't, yeah, I don't want to... Okay, so the choices, I don't know if I read them. If you decide to follow Nasha, turn to page 63. If you decide to call in the fire right away, turn to page 90. If those are the choices, if the choices aren't, please let me go find my campers, <laughs> which is what I wanted to do when I made that choice. Then we follow her. I yeah, think then we follow keeping. her. If the, if the choices are, are be a narc or follow Nasha, I think I follow Nasha. Yeah, turn to page I, yes, 63. I think that's fair. I would I mean, make we're that smoke choice. jumpers, but we're not cops, you know? Yes. Um, okay, I don't know what's happening on another page that on we page don't 62, get to participate in. but I kind of want to, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me, what, tell me what's happening in that I'm timeline? I'm just seeing Andrew. a very, very come-hither look on a fox or a coyote or something who's Who, holding up a garment. That maybe he was wearing previously? Yeah, mm. and with smoke curling all around him. I don't know. Okay, anyway. Uh, back to page 63. 
fine, I'll go with you, you tell Nasha. Lead the way. She points off in the direction of the road ahead. Thinking back, you seem to remember a beat-up pickup parked at the far end of the road. Maybe that's Nasha's vehicle. Nasha keeps quiet, and you wonder if she knows what she's talking about. You feel like there might not be a fire on the peak after all. Who else would be working on it if there weren't any rangers up there? You find the walking easy, but you are nervous about what lies ahead. An idea hits you. You slow your pace and slowly turn your radio on from inside your pocket. Nasha, you say. Can you tell me anything else about where we're headed? You hope that Stamos will hear your conversation and come to your rescue. But Nasha continues walking and says nothing. Suddenly, she turns and looks at you sharply. So we we have come to the conclusion that we are being kidnapped? Well, or... and our, also, so there's that. And also, R.A. Montgomery is is rail- railroading us pretty hard. Like, I wanted to go find the campers. I wanted to not be a narc. Yes. I'm not going to find the campers. I am being a narc. <laughs> He just really wants to teach us about various aspects of this world, and it's getting in the way of choices. I suppose. Um, Hit me with page 64 and 5, Andrew. Okay. I know you tried to alert your friend to this fire, Nasha tells you angrily, and it doesn't matter. The place I'm taking you to is not on your topo maps. You better (laughs) just follow me, because otherwise you're going to be lost in a terrible fire. What makes you so sure you know better than the rangers? I thought you worked with Erica, man. I have, says Nasha, and I know what some people do to Miwok lands. Every fire happens for a reason, and we're going to deal with this one in our own way. Vigilante justice. Yes, okay, I'm on board now. I don't know if I would have picked Georgia Peach if I knew this was going to get so dark. (laughs) (laughs) You're intrigued by what Nasha is saying, even though you know you're about to do something dangerous. You remember Erica's warning about this area and her saying something about Miwok, but you can't remember what it was she said. You follow Nasha silently through the forest for 15 minutes behind outcroppings of rock and never following any path. You begin to get a whiff of smoke in the air. You click your radio on and off and nothing happens. Nasha smiles at you. That radio will not work here, darling, she tells you. (laughs) Oddly, you feel less afraid as you walk with her. She moves confidently even without a path and you find that by following close behind her, you can move quickly as well. You travel this way for nearly an hour until the air is truly thick with smoke. You still do not see a fire. Turn to the next page. Well, there's the fire. There, There is what looks like a fire and a lot of people at the bottom of some sort of fiery hill waving at it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll find out. Finally, you you see reach a flat outcropping of... <laughs> oh, man, there's a typo there. Finally, you see reach a flat outcropping of rock and Nasha gestures out. There is a dramatic ravine, a deep, sharp gully. Across the way, a domed pick Domed peak thick with evergreen trees is blazing, blazing, wow, with growing forest fire. Several Miwok are standing on the flat rock, waving sticks tied with cloths at the fire. They glare at you and then look at Nasha questioningly. Fires in the forest represent imbalance in the world, Nasha tells you. We will protect the land in our own way, without interference from the outside. After all, it is the outside that has led to so much destruction of the earth already. She motions for you to join her in the circle. Now that you've learned to be a smoke jumper, you will learn the cooling down ceremony of the Miwok as well. You stand beside her. There's one more thing, she says. We've reached a place that the rangers don't know about. I'm afraid you can't go back, or else you might show them the way. The end. So we're just prisoners forever in the Is it like, yeah, or is it like a weird dances with wolves thing? 
Now I need to go back to see. Okay, so <laughs> all right, so we started from page twenty-seven. And yeah, we said go on. Pat- we said go on patrol. Turn to page twenty-eight. Yes. Uh, next page. Next, next page, page. Turn next to page, page thirty-two. Turn to page thirty-four. Yeah. Turn to seventy-two. Uh, 72. This is... was when we could be a narc, right? No, okay. 72 is turned to page 74. Um, 74, we went to look, we wanted to try looking for the campers, turn to page 48. The other choice would have taken us to page 42, like go with Nasha to Trillian Gorge. Okay. And apparently, this is a whole other scenario that doesn't automatically end with us being Nasha's prisoners. <laughs> No, but huh. it it does appear like we go to like a prehistoric there is like a prehistoric bird or something. Man. There's really? some secrets in this book. This was grounded know. in reality for a while and then it got <laughs> weird at the end. We never did we ever jump into fire? We did we did the practice jump and we found some fire. So it's okay. like we we encountered them separately. So there was smoke and we were jumpers. There were then there were smoke jumpers also. Okay. It. Like it, the if you're talking about smoke it's not called smoke jumping. It's called smoke jumpers. Sure. And we met we met many smoke jumpers. So this is this beats out you are a shark and ghost train in terms of us experiencing the title of the, the thing, book. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So we were never a shark. That's see, that's what I liked about you are a monster is you turn into a monster on like page two, and then you just have to deal with your life as a monster. Well, and I kind of liked in that book, monster meant a bunch of different things. Like, yeah, it meant everything from like horrible alien to like Alf, basically. <laughs> like you could be, <laughs> you could be a real like classic monster, or you could be like a goofy dude who was in a band and ate cats and stuff. Yep. What I do like about this book is it's got like. You're learning about a type of first responder. You're learning about land conservation. You know, we not we did not encounter any arsonists, so I don't know. That we know of. I mean, we don't know yeah. who started either of these fires. There might be something. That's another angle we didn't get to experience of, like, there weren't really bad guys in this book. Mm-hmm. There have been bad guys in these books before. Yeah, certainly. I just, it's too bad that to play one of these all the way out, we would probably need to record like four hours of material. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. the, uh, yeah. And that's all I'll say about but the, the proportion of each book that we read may or may not make other entities feel things. But if people <laughs> out there have picked up this book, there's more in there for them to find. That's the oh, there's service. A lot that, of, there's a lot of meat in this one. That's a the service that we provide. Lots of good characters. Good character, and now you have voices to that you can't not imagine when you encounter some of them. Just truly our goal. So, mm-hmm. um, and you'll never be able to read Henry Bruyard's voice without like <laughs> doing a weird, just like <laughs> tripping on it a little bit. <laughs> if anyone knows how we should pronounce Henry Bruyard's voice, don't the name, don't tell me. I don't want to know how I, I say it. Henry Bruyard is fine. Yeah, that's it's just how like we're not even tripping. It. We're not even tripping on anything. It's like when you trip on the sidewalk just because you walked dumb. Yep. Uh huh. You got. <laughs> I, well, I'm like I'm in the middle of his name, and I think about him, and I get distracted and add half a syllable. True. 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 Sure. Um. 
But if you are a smoke jumper or know a smoke jumper and want to tell us about it, write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up online at facebook.com and twitter.com slash overduepod. Thanks to folks reaching out to us after our Hunger Games episode, uh, Catching Fire, Hunger Games 2. Check that out. It's on the feed. Thanks to Nicole, Yeti, Justin, Ashley, Diana, Aaron, Ritzy, Tom, Ebony, Rhea, Marilyn, Kaylee, and many more. Lots of folks uh, discovering us in their you know work from home times as they experiment with new podcasts so thank you to people who are joining us and spreading the word as they discover the show and to outlets as diverse as buzzfeed and aarp for yep, highlighting really our show it. in recent weeks yeah um, and shout out to every teacher who is you know apparently including us in their new online learning courses we we find that just incredibly humbling <laughs> maybe a little uh I wish you the best. Um, probably, Andrew, probably this one they're not. Probably this one is not getting hey, used as an educational aid. Probably if, not this one. If you're a game design professor, you can use this one. Do you want to teach your kids about Strong Bad? <laughs> Listen to <laughs> Overdue Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I could run a college. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is the website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed, Always, you can subscribe to the show. We're also in Spotify and Stitcher and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. We've also got a new listener page. If you have come to us recently, welcome. Uh, we've got a bunch of books up there that we think made good episodes. We've also got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can recommend us a book. You can get bonus episodes early. Uh, we'll be ready to talk about the next long read project that we are doing after uh, we finish um the divine comedy by dante we also have a capper for hellboys that series that i think people might enjoy <laughs> sure but we're not going to tell them about yet nope uh what else anything is that it yeah next week i'm reading death in the family by james ag aggie i gotta learn how to pronounce his name but we'll figure it out next time that's that's always that's a next week problem <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, Stay safe. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.